Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Chris Sinclair. And I'm Drew Garrison. That was so much worse than your first one that you gave up on. And you were like... I disagree. That was my game show host voice. Uh, I'm changing the channel. (laughs) Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in. (laughs) Yeah. We're just going to sit here and talk shit to each other all day. Hopefully you can handle that. It's been a long day. But I think we're gonna we're gonna mend some fences right now, and I'm gonna pull. Well, out. you know, after after uh, a long day of braving traffic, yeah, in, in the holidays, and yeah, people back in town, yes, well, going down the wrong way on one way streets. Oh man, let's drink. Terrified. <laughs> uh, so speaking of that, speaking of the holidays, I actually don't have one spirit for you. I have two spirits for you. Um, now, they oh, are no. both in the same category of they are homemade Kahluas. But this was made by a buddy of mine and his family. He hit me up a couple weeks ago and he was like, hey, Drew, I got um, every year my family does a homemade Kahlua, but they always want to use vodka. And I'm trying to convince them to use uh, rum instead. Do you have some rums that, you know, you might be able to give me? I can just use like a little bit of it. And I'm all, absolutely. So... I gave him a bottle of J. Ray and Nephew, uh-huh. the Jamaican funk, high proof. And then I gave him a bottle of Foursquare just to kind of stick it to Foursquare drinkers to be like, we're going to make this into Kahlua now. That's great. And, so, and I like that you wrote on the label made with 2004 Foursquare rum. Well, actually, they did that. Uh, so, well, um, But it was, it was on them. attention to detail. That's great. Attention to detail. You know, years and years ago when we first opened up the Red Rabbit, in Sacramento, I made a uh, house-made Midori. Oh God! Uh, with Ray and nephew, and every single bartender talked so much shit about it. But you know who drank it? Bartenders. Every single bartender. I I admittedly have like a little soft spot for Midori because you know it's legitimately in a category of its own, and sure. And everybody has it. It doesn't matter what bar. Like I think maybe the only like the two spirits that have the most coverage percentage wise in bars, Jameson and Midori. <laughs> like, it's just it's just everywhere. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you're at. Now, I'm gonna say something pretty controversial, oh, which is shocking development. All right, I don't need that attitude from you today. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't think we would be consuming. Japanese whiskey in the U.S. if it wasn't for Midori. And now, do you say that because um, Centauri actually owns? And that's how they made a ton of money, which undoubtedly went into increasing production. Yeah. So, so you you wanna you wanna start the rumor. Or you want to start the praise, or the credit is due to Midori for the for the current Japanese whiskey craze in the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'll fucking I'll climb that hill. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fight me. I won't. <laughs> Which side note? I hate that thing so much. I hate that people are just like that's like oh I have this sometimes I'm like I have an opinion. Fight me. Yeah, it's like sometimes it's not even controversial. You're just kind of like well what. No, I don't Orange think. juice is delicious. Fight, Fight me. me. Not here. Um, all right, so we're going to start off with the J-Ray. Holy moly. Okay, so for you people at home, basically what Kahlua is coffee, water, sugar, vanilla, and in this case, spirit. Also, 
worked into it. Well, Kahlua is a brand name. Well, there is that, but there's like, okay, so this is, yeah, I guess so. I guess we should back that further. Kahlua is a brand name. And I actually sat in on a Kahlua training once because I was like, that sounds hilarious. And I did it. And I was like really impressed. I was like, never mind. You guys really put the hard work no, in. that sounds, sounds great. Yeah, it was great. It totally ended up being great. Um, it was the first brand job I got asked to apply for. Does that mean that you didn't apply? That is correct. Not, I don't know. We'll just leave that conversation there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is super tasty. Yeah, I would, uh, I'd make a, uh, a revolver out of that for yeah. sure. Um, it's one of my favorite whiskey drinks, by the way. You know what? Mine too. So good. Mm-hmm. First person introduced me to that was actually of all people, Laura Bruce. Really? And then cool. she wrote down the recipe for me. She goes, here you go, simpleton. Here's your little recipe. Go home and make it. That's so nice of her. It was nice of her. She was that's, super nice. That's what we call hospitality. Mm. Mm-hmm. Top notch. Now, when I do it, I write it down, but then I also write, fuck you, figure it out. <laughs> or Google it. Here's the name of the cocktail you should figure out how to make. Google it. So that's why I'm no longer a bartender. Right. Well, yeah. That's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. So this is really fun. And so, so like I said, they do it. Every holiday season. The Ray Nephew really comes out on that guy too, which is fun because yeah. it adds a, a level of funk that I'm a big fan of um, to the back note. So it's not just all coffee right up, right up front. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that has like some serious viscosity to it. Like they dumped sugar into this bad boy, which is, that's fun. Uh, yeah. I think, um, like I said, they, when I was talking to my buddy about it, he was like, uh, so yeah, you know, typically you're supposed to use like a neutral grain spirited. He goes, but my family's well, of, not Kahlua. You're not well. I don't. But that's Kahlua, still, I'm, I'm giving or you Tia Maria. I'm giving you what he, what he said to me. Sure. And he was just like, well, my family's a bunch of hicks, so we do vodka. And I was like, I don't know if any of these things make sense. But I'll tell you what, this one with the with the Ray nephew, I will. I am very stoked about. It. So he actually, so I you know gave him the two bottles. He gave me the bottles back, like just like a little bit in it. But then he gave me three bottles. You should Kahlua. convince him next year to do it with White Dog. Okay. I don't, th- I don't think it's going to take that much convincing. Well, yeah. I mean, you never know. You never okay, know. so that was the J-Ray. So now we're doing it with... The 2004. The 2004 Foursquare, which I posted it on Ministry of Rum. And unfortunately, so far, all I've got is like really good reactions. I was, I was hoping I'd piss off some rum nerds. But I know. when you When it's... It's so easy to do so, and then you're doing it intentionally. And, and then you, know, you don't get the reaction you want. It's like, what the oh, fuck? I am. Yeah. Okay. Definitely, definitely a lot, a lot chiller on the nose. A lot more coffee coming off. So I pick up way more of the rum on this one than I did on the, on the J. Well, I am. I pick up the barrel. Well, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So the, the 2004 is an aged Barbados rum, yeah. for those of you guys who don't know. Um, and I want to say... If you were to ask me which one is more market-friendly, I'd say the Foursquare for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's talk packaging now. You're also, you're also talking about a product. One of them costs $20, <laughs> and the other one costs you know, $55, $60. But those ones have actually gone up in price too. The, uh, which one? The, the four squares are actually starting to like push a hundred dollars, yeah. which I think yeah. is hilarious because then you see the rum quote unquote aficionados now pushing back against that and being like, it's just getting way too expensive. And for years, the 
whole fight has been respect Rome, respect Rome. It's legit. It's not just sugar-filled stuff. And then yeah, Rome's when it just starts as good as whiskey. Yeah, then it starts to get good, and then so it's actually being priced appropriately, and they're like, "This is bullshit." That was like me when I lived in Oakland. I was like, "Dude, Oakland's great. Oakland's great." And everybody was like, "Yeah, Oakland's great." I was like, "Oh, fuck you guys." Yeah. Oakland's now my rent costs too much. Hey, go. Yeah, that's uh, it's yeah, it's definitely like a small band type of thing, and. And all that, but um, but yeah, this is this is great, and this is perfect for the holidays, and um, seems like a relatively easy infusion to do. So, Patrick, thank you very much for your contribution to us. I enjoy. It. Can I mix the two together and see what happens? No. Damn it, true. You never let never me do mind. Anything I no, want to do. you can be your little cocksuckers. So you, while you do that, let's jump into our headlines and all that fun stuff. Are we so dive right in. We are gonna dive right in. Awesome. And um, the one that I wanted to start off with. And this is actually something that really, really resonates with me and people who know, like I have very strong opinions on this, but I'm going to try to keep them in check and I'm going to try to be level-headed because I am trying to be a nice person about this kind of stuff. I can't wait. Yeah. (laughs) The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, has made the official announcement and details are starting to come out on his new tequila, which is called Terramana. Now, The Rock is pretty notorious for being an avid uh, tequila drinker. He has uh, always been a big fan of the 1942 from Don Julio, something you see constantly on his Instagram and social media platforms. For probably the last six to eight months, he has been teasing this tequila and talking about all the hard work and effort that they are putting in. About a month ago, he released a picture of everybody wearing denim jackets with Terramana on it. And then just this past week, he released some of the actual details. And those details look he, he like... He released the labeling. Well, like, the labeling, yeah. He released yeah. the packaging. Yeah, so... Which um, you dutifully posted immediately to social media. Right, with somewhat of a sarcastic comment. But with that being said, this is so here's, here are some of the details that we can pull from Terramana. So first and foremost, anytime you're looking at a tequila... You look at the nom, right? So the nom is 1613. At the time that he posted this, it was not in Tequila Matchmaker, which I thought was hilarious. Tequila Matchmaker is an app that you can have on your phone that will have everybody's tequila on it, what the process is, ratings, stuff like that. It's now on there. Um, It is supposedly in um, southern Los Altos. Okay. So... You know, Does that mean that they created this distillery just just for this? Well, the way it seems right now, yes. Which, to me, is actually a really good thing. That's respectable. That's a very respectable yeah. thing. Now, that we're going to have to table that for now. Because there's Deal. a lot of other things. I will, I will withhold my, my yeah. full judgment. But on the surface, I'm leaning impressed. I was as well. And it was something that I w- I've been waiting for somebody to do tequila like the quote-unquote right way sure if you are going to go in there and do it and this is definitely on that path where it's like wow you actually created your own distillery mm-hmm. which means you created a ton of jobs which means you're actually giving back to the state of mexico right, right. good not, for you and altering. and leave it to the rock to do that who is ultimately one of the overall nice guys everybody likes right so i'm gonna hit pause okay speaking of doing things the right way mixing these two uh kalua uh, knockoffs together, yeah, the right way. The right way, it's delicious. There you go. I'll text Patrick after. All right, good. Like, okay, mix them together. Please continue about the rock. So the rock. Now we get into more of like the marketing and stuff like that. So on their front label, we have the dreaded 
gluten-free on the packaging. Dope. So big time buzzword, obviously. Um, it you is... know ketchup is gluten-free? Is it? It is. There's no glutens in it. Well, good. Cause yeah. Same with yogurt. Everybody knows how much you hate glutens. Well, it's not me. It's your body. It's my body. It's your body. Yeah. So um, also on the front label, you have distilled and handmade copper pot stills. So it's like, good for you. You have small batch on there. Obviously a big time marketing term. Um, then you get into uh, some of the actual okay. detail hey, notes. Let's stop, let's stop and talk about why this is important. Gluten-free. Gluten is a is an organic uh, protein comes comes through uh, wheat, rye, uh, barley, and there's one other in there. But yes, it grains in cooking it expands in through cooking. Right, mm -hmm. it does not evaporate in um, in liquid because it is a protein, so it is a solid. Yeah. It will remain a solid, does not transform. Um, it provides elasticity to bread, lots of other things, but it does not evaporate, does not uh, uh, change from solid into liquid, does not change from liquid into gas. Therefore, anything going through distillation process will come out on the, on the back end gluten-free, right? So that's very important note. Also, if you notice, the things that I said contain gluten in them, agave wasn't one of them. Right. right. That's just like tomatoes don't have, hence my ketchup joke. Uh, yogurt does not have, hence, you know, like you, so, see, you see gluten-free yogurt in the grocery store. So not only is it a completely ridiculous claim to make for mm. anybody making spirits to say it's gluten-free after it's been distilled, for the most part, unless you're adding flavors back in and stuff like that, which we can get into later. Right. But the base product for tequila as hopefully most of our listeners know, is agave. And agave doesn't have gluten. No gluten. So there was no gluten at any point during yeah. this process well, for it, them it, to it, point out that there's no gluten here. Correct. Well, and here's, <laughs> here's where I will, I will again come in with facts. On the back end of a lot of, a lot of spirits, they do touch sometimes wood. On, in crappy barrels, mm -hmm. sometimes they're held together with uh, with. Um, wheat glue so it will contain some gluten in that depending on how sensitive you are right um, just like whiskey sometimes uh, if it's if it's crappy whiskey even if it's aged in a good barrel sometimes the uh, caramel coloring is is thickened using gluten um, so it adds a certain viscosity to that even though it doesn't make any sense because it's caramel coloring what have you it still exists for instance Kahlua as we're talking about this, Kahlua is not gluten-free. Um, so it's just important to keep those things in mind. So while the Blanco, it's fairly ridiculous to say that it's gluten-free. Yeah. It's possible, and I'm, again, willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, that maybe they put that on there for their barrel-aged expressions. Sure. I just think it's a marketing... Oh, 100%. It's marketing. <laughs> it absolutely is because the, really, the, I mean, it's it, what amount of the market are you really hitting that truly knows what they're talking about right. when it comes to when it comes to gluten and gluten sensitivities? Yeah, I got to tell you, the, the amount of, I've been gluten free and I'm not even allergic to gluten, um, but I've I've been gluten free for 
13 years now uh, and only realized in the last year it wasn't gluten that I was allergic to. It's, it's something more along the lines of the process of how wheat is grown and so on and so forth. But the amount of people that I've talked to over the years over the bar who just get offended at the fact that you're just trying to engage in a conversation about it to really give them something that's not going to harm them. Most mm-hmm. people just assume that you're attacking them right out of the gate. Right. Well, they so. want to feel special. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to The Rock and his gluten-free tequila. Uh, 100% Blue Weber Agave, which he says is from the Highlands. So there you go. Uh, brick oven, again, copper pot still, which was handmade, as pointed out on the front. Uh, it has 96 calories per 1.5 ounce. Wow. Yeah, on there. Uh, zero carbs, zero sugars, which is interesting because it does make me wonder, like, is that going to show up? Because like, a lot of concerns that people have with this stuff now with when it comes to tequilas is additives sure and those additives could be caramel coloring they could be sugar now mm-hmm. he's saying that there's no sugars in here but that's also something that you don't necessarily have to disclose right it's it's pretty interesting that he did uh, yeah the attempt for transparency but again it's like marketing transparency right it's not... right and so certified <laughs> gluten-free and then also tasting notes fresh citrus and one of your favorite buzzwords smooth so can we call the rock and ask him what smooth tastes like (laughs) yeah we can certainly tweet him (laughs) um so he released that for his blanco and then um also for his reposado both of them clocking in at 40 percent um abv and then on the reposado uh it is also uh certified gluten-free the aging is done in oak barrels so plot twist well, um, oh, oh, again, oak barrels, for people who don't know, uh, create 99.9% of the, the barrel agent market out right. there. there right. are, I mean, obviously, there are, there are different types of wood that get played with, and we talked about that in the past. Um, but Primarily in Mexico, you're going to see this. 99.8% across the world, oak. Yeah, so then uh, tasting notes on this one, oak, vanilla, rich, smooth. Dope. Smooth on that one too. Gotta, so gotta, he's got to taste the smooth. So he's achieved two smooth tequilas, which is really great. Wouldn't expect much less from the Rock. And I really want to, you know, I, I bring this up because I, you know, I think it brings up a bigger issue of currently like trends in the United States right now, especially. And it's always been this case, and it's always going to be this case. But celebrity endorsed products, whether it's through ownership, you know, sponsorships just hired as um, spokespeople. It is uh, something that's pretty rampant right now. It seems like a lot of celebrities are getting involved in that. Tequila seems to be the one that a lot of them gravitate towards. Uh, well, a lot after, of that... after George Clooney sold and Randy, Randy right. uh, Gerber sold for how much again? A billion dollars. A billion dollars. Yeah. Then, yeah, it became very attractive to a lot of people. Right. So you have that. Now, for, for me personally, and I will always be this way, if... Someone comes to me with a celebrity endorsed product, I, I won't buy it. And my thought process and reasoning behind that is there are so many great products out there that even if it tastes good, which, you know, there's a fair amount of them that actually do taste very good, but I don't need to support that. I don't need to support those guys, those girls that, you know, already have a ton of money and things like that. It's like, you know what? I'd rather invest in smaller productions and 
and things of that nature. And especially now I, on the outside looking in, it would appear that The Rock was involved in this a little bit more than, let's say, past celebrities. Sure. Um, well, but, including in the name, right? Terramana being being the land and the spirit. Sure, just in the name. So he was helped name it. Yeah, it's not just his face and his money. Right. So you know, I I, I will always try these things, sure, but I'll never buy them. And that's just something that I apply. It doesn't matter if it's tequila. It doesn't matter if it's whiskey. Any of those different things. I'm kind of like, like, oh, that's celebrities involved. I'm good. I, I don't I don't need to support it. And now, one thing I do appreciate about it is that it does bring a lot of people to certain categories, right? So this could be the gateway for people to drink more tequila, or let's say in this you know situation of like with George Clooney or the Aaron Pauls and you know of the world where they're bringing in mezcals now too. It's just kind of like okay, I I never gonna drink those, but I guess if it gets somebody through the door and be like, hey, now that you're through the door, why don't you come over this way and check out this one instead? You know, I, uh, two days ago I had someone come by and ask for the Breaking Bad Mezcal. Hmm. Um, and I think it's called Dos Hombres. Dos Hombres. Yeah. Yes. And I do not carry it for very similar reasons as you mentioned. Um, and I wanted to lean them towards some of the super legit Mezcals that I do carry and they weren't having it. That's all they wanted, and so they left, which is fine. You yeah. know what you want, and you know they want to experience that, and uh, they also wanted a friend of theirs. They they were going to sit down and watch Breaking Bad, so I was like, okay, that's a whole experience that you're going to have. Great, cool. I can't help you with that, but yeah, go buy Breaking Bad from Knee Deep. There you go. Call it a day. Yeah, yeah. I just I'll, I'll never be on board, and because so often is the case where a lot of these people like it's just really just kind of like oh, I'm slapping my name to this. So so. Is this, I mean, because celebrity endorsements in booze is nothing new. Right. I mean, uh, whether it's champagne, whether it's, uh, whether it's cognac, whether it's vodka, whether it's whiskey, right? Uh, for me, if I'm of the mind that if a celebrity is endorsing something that has been around for a long time, it doesn't move me one way or another. You know, I you start seeing those commercials a little bit more. You know, you see Mila Kunis a little bit more. Right. Like know, Jim Beam. Jim Beam, yeah. right. And you see uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey with Wild Turkey and his, lo- his what, Long, Long Branch. Branch. Long yeah, Branch. Long Branch, which I, I haven't had, uh, you know, but I like I like the Russells and I, I like pretty much everything they do. So I can't imagine that that's bad. Right. Right. And apparently he's part owner of that now. Not Wild Turkey as a whole, but specifically that brand that he makes in concert with the Russells. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, but I'm with you in this sort of celebrity ownership of new booze that they're trying to latch onto. I think that there's also a strong part of cultural appropriation that's happening specifically in Mexico and specifically with agave spirits. There's there's definitely a little bit of that. I think for, for myself, you know, you see this whole movement of farm to fork and knowing where your food comes from, wanting the details, wanting, you know, as much information as possible. So to the rocks credit on this, there's a lot of information there, even some stuff that's probably a little unnecessary, but good for him for putting it on there. Yeah. Right. With that being said, I, I think I find it, you know, 
I find it rough and kind of and kind of annoying to be around because I do sell a lot of these things that are legit spirits from these places that like, oh yeah, we crush with so-and-so's brand, so we really don't want to work with your stuff. And it's just kind of like, I don't understand how you can put such an emphasis on food, but then don't give a shit about your spirits and where they come from and who's making them and who's benefiting from them. You know, like you... You have these places that are out there that are basically like, oh yeah, we use all local products, we do all this, as we do all that. But then when it comes to their spirits programs, all of that is completely out the window. It like it blows my mind. I don't well, know. Well, I you know you don't have people who are asking for you know who are showing up and saying you know I would like the Lucky Belly beef. You know that's that's the pork belly and that's the beef that I want. Mm-hmm. You can leave the well beef alone, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they do show up and they do say that about booze. So I can understand at least a little bit about that. That being said, more often than not, these restaurants that you're sort of referring to are owned by chefs, you know? So they're not focusing on booze or they think that they're focusing on booze, but they don't they don't know what they don't know. Right. You know, so it's... It's a little insulting, yes, because this is what we do, and it's not what they do, even though they think that it is. Um, I can name a couple programs that I've traveled to see as well as here uh, locally that um, you know their bars have to have their executive chef sign off on everything that the bar does because it's their name on it. And it, I just, I just. You know, it doesn't seem far-fetched, but then if you flip that, if you invert that, right, and say, okay, cool, well, imagine a kitchen that has to sign off with their with their bar manager for every dish that they do. Right. You know, how... To make si- sure that it goes with the cocktails. Exactly. How silly does that sound, <laughs> you know? So, it's, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're two totally different crafts, even though they, they run parallel to each other, and I, I think that more respect needs to be given in that way. Um but back to you know celebrity endorsements, I booze is where restaurants make their money. So yes, you wanna you wanna move with what sells, but I think I think that there's I think there's gray area in there. I think you can you can do a bit of both. It just requires effort. Right, and I think that's where most of the pushback comes from. Is you know let's say you know you do have your your busy nights and stuff, and what's your motivation level to explain to somebody that you don't have a major celebrity endorsed brand to somebody you know like it with your interaction it was one person you tried to turn them on to something else and then they left right so there's a lost sale there if you're working as a bartender you're 3d at the bar do you want to sit there and have to explain i don't have this but let me tell you this and let me tell you why it's better but you know what that's that's i mean i have zero sympathy for anybody who's unwilling to do it because i defined the last 13 years of my career off of doing exactly that and will continue to do that for the rest of my career. It's not a thing that, you know, I don't have any sympathy for you. Now, read the room, obviously, you know, and choose your battles and don't be an asshole when you're doing it, you know, but that's part of hospitality, right? Like, that's, you can't offer everybody everything. So you tell your story, you create, create your program the way that you want. Yeah. And you develop that and you stick to your guns. Right. Uh, you know, you have to be willing to hear criticism and what, what have you as you develop. But, you know, you tell your story the way you, that you want to tell it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, you know, again, I think with my goal uh, or one of my goals with, with this podcast was to be better about the things 
that I absolutely despise. <laughs> like celebrity endorsed spirits. And I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. I feel like I haven't completely dumped on it. I like the fact, I like some of these things. I will certainly try um, the Rocks Tequila. Again, I won't buy it because of the reasons listed, but I like so far what he's come out with. I look forward to, to seeing um, really what the final product is and everything like that. And if he did, in fact, create a new distillery, that to me is huge. That's what I've been looking for from these people who have all this money to go in there and really create something special. Yeah. So if that ends up being the case, which I really hope it does, then good on him. Would you buy it if that was the case? No. If, if it happened to be good, as well as he created a distillery that supported it that supported a part of the town yeah. and the community. You would yeah. not buy it? No, because it's going to sell no matter what. I, that's not necessarily true. There it's been... very true because someone else recently released a tequila that's horrible and it's selling like gangbusters right well, now. Well, sure. I mean, I mean, right out of the gate maybe, but give it give it five years. Yeah, I, I still... I will say nice things about it. If someone asks me about it, I will give that endorsement if I do think it's good mm-hmm. and... And honestly, I think that's more valuable than me buying a, buying a bottle for him because a lot of people know how I feel about these celebrity stuff. So I would do that. But I, I just still like, he doesn't need more money. And he was going to get these sales from other people. Sure. Because just simply because they're going to go in there, point in case with the person with the dos hombres, like there's a lot of reasons to beat up that mezcal. And if they're they're numerous, but like that person did not care. No, and they just wanted it because they are trying to create this thing with their buddy and stuff like that. Right, that's, even if they make half as much as George Clooney did, that's still a, a roaring success. It totally right. okay. So again, we're keeping it pretty positive. I know I can spiral quickly, but we are going to stick with trends that do tend to piss people off, <laughs> and um, that is beer actually showed growth this year in the u.s which you would think like oh of course it did like but no it hasn't but this year it did and the reason it did is because hard seltzers fall underneath the beer category that's right and um with that being the case multi-outlet and convenience shops showed a uh pretty significant growth this year uh totaling in you know total sales of 34.5 billion dollars uh, these flavored hard seltzers, their growth alone was 42% over last year, which is crazy and definitely checks out to me as far as I'm concerned. Totaling about $3.6 of those dollars. So we're talking about things like Truly and White Claw. With stuff like this, I mean, first of all, do you carry any of these in Good Bottle? I do not. Okay. so I'm clearly missing... Out on my my part of the thirty four point five billion dollars. There is there is quite a bit of sales on them. I definitely had multiple accounts that I would just see them bring in uh, truckloads of this stuff, and they were like, "We can't keep it on the shelf. Like it flies. It just literally flies." I find that really entertaining uh, because a I'm not offended by them in any means. If yeah. It, if it tastes good, freaking drink it. That's right. fine. Right. Um, but also, I like the idea that beer drinkers are like, yes. We have growth. Look at us. Yeah. And, you know, external validation. Yeah. 
don't pay attention to the details. Yeah, it's don't worry that it's hard <laughs> it's seltzers that yeah. we actually rail against uh-huh. pretty pretty often. Mm-hmm. I think the and now I'm I'm pretty indifferent towards uh, the seltzers. Um, I my wife loves them, so there's a bunch in the bunch in the fridge, and you know they're they're crushable, so she she enjoys them and stuff. But I I think it's really funny. Like there's there's these people who are like really against them, like really hate them a lot. Well, is it? But is then it... but then they like. But then they actually try them and they like they like them, but then they can't admit that they like them, and you can tell that they like them. Is it the social media hate? Hundred percent. Right. So that's not real hate. That's just that's just social media posturing. <laughs> yeah. That's just it's it's very true, and I think um, and I think you can always tell it's true, like when you see what people would post about it, but then they make some like self deprecating joke about it, like oh I had to get these white claws because I got no laws. It's kind of like no, you just like white claws. And... <laughs> That's okay. So, but now with this, now you're 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 seeing you're seeing all this growth with um, you know these kind of like really convenient, easy, cheap drinks. Now there is something that exists closer to the cocktail side of you know different types of cocktails in a can. Yeah, the RTDs, the RTDs, the ready, ready to drinks. That some of them have had success, other ones have not. A place that you don't necessarily see them a whole lot though is in cocktail bars and, and stuff right. like that and um and you know of course you can see them at like venues and, and things like that where like speed is king and stuff but like do you see a situation where those could ever cross the line or is it just kind of be like hey i came here for a drink i want to see you make it these cans are really never going to exist here or even truly's or, or any of those things like can those make the transition from the off-prem the convenience into well, truly, and White Claws have. It depends on the bar that you're in, but they right. they have. Right. Um, I, you know, we have mutual friends who've attempted their own version of this. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, saw relative success, but ultimately, you know, folded. And you know, we'll we'll see really where that goes. I RTDs are a really interesting category for me i i think part of the reason you go to a bar is the social aspect it you know you want to interact with people a bartender making your drink is part of that interaction uh, even if it's just picking up two bottles but and cans don't tend to do as well on premises as bottles do right so so i don't know would you know, ready to drink in a bottle be better for an on-premise I, you know, I don't know. That's a whole sociology experiment I'm not prepared to do. But I, you know, <laughs> given given my limited experience, I I would I would say if you wanted something to do better on prem, I I would put it in a bottle. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know why it just is that way. Right. Um. I think that the ability to make something in a can that's shelf stable is there. We can make something that's super delicious that fits into the, like this quote unquote craft scene. Um, yeah, you know, there's, that, yeah, there's yeah, there's like um, you know we have a bar here in Sacramento that they also have multiple locations kind of you know up and down the state um, with Coinop that does the um, the pouches. Sure, you know, well, the it, Capri, that, the, it was the Capri Sun like, but they're like cocktail drinks and so stuff like that that. That you could do, and that's what I just, and that's what I'm curious about, is that you have something that has shown this tremendous growth in one sector of our industry, and 
typically like they feed off of each other the on and the off feed off of each other sure. in certain ways and they, you can't like they're they're always kind of a reflection of the other in some way or form and so i just wondering it's like okay and, and again yes there are bars that have high volume bars nightclubs things like that are going to have these potentially available but can you get that into the craft cocktail scene where it makes you know like can those exist will white claw get in there no will truly get into a quote unquote craft cocktail bar i probably not yeah. but that being said and i'm going to give a shout out to one of the women who uh, had one of the largest impact on my career jen colio who owns small hand foods yeah she owns uh here's how in oakland and they can a bunch of their cocktails before shift she has a little canner she showed it to me it's brilliant the stuff is delicious they she makes her own version of like white claw at the at the bar well you know small hands is definitely one of my favorite companies to work with just you know for the limited amount of cocktailing that i do i mean she really does do a, a great job so it doesn't surprise me that she's all. figured that out yeah right yeah. That, i don't know how much farther that that could possibly go you know <laughs> let's say she decided and i doubt she would ever want to but let's say she decided she wanted to do a small hand seltzer you yeah. know and see how far she could push that i i don't imagine she has that kind of like uh, uh, you know, uh, masochistic nature, masochistic self, self, uh, self harm, self harm, or just, what? or just harm in general. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she has the capability to. So I, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's certainly interesting, and it'll be interesting to see if they actually maintain that again this coming year. Because I mean, obviously they crushed during like it's spring a trend. summer, and who saw know? that trend coming, right? Like yeah, I, literally nobody. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, so, and I know I know that uh, that both Truly and White Claw reinvested millions of dollars into being able to meet that demand for next year. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they actually grow with that. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty daunting number. Like if you show a forty two percent growth, I mean to maintain that kind of growth is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's really really fast and admittedly i don't know how long white claw has been around yeah but imagine they launched two years ago and then they just saw that growth yeah in the last year yeah the ability to meet that you know contract with co-packers the ability to uh uh find the raw products find uh sorry the raw materials you know accessing the right kind of cans making sure that whoever your labeler can meet that demand as well yeah on time i mean that's that's one hell of a headache if if you just got thrown right into that. So, uh, point out my producer credits here. The beverage was introduced in 2016. Boom. Wow. How fucking crazy wow. is that? So, hopefully they had growth on mind, which I'm sure that they did right out of the gate. Yeah. So, it looks like in 2020, they are getting ahead of it. They're going to be introducing three new flavors, which will be watermelon, lemon, and tangerine. I mean, I'm in for tangerine. I'm down for lemon. You do orange anything, I'm probably going to try it at least once. That'll it'll finally break uh, break the trend. Um, summer of 2019, White Claw accounted for over half of the total hard seltzer sales. Volume sales of White Claw grew 275 percent over Jesus, the pre. Man. I mean, how I mean, do that's, you that's how do you that's, plan for that? Yeah. You know, and then again, does it? You know, can it can it maintain that? You know. Um, well, here, I mean, here's hoping the amount of people that they probably had to, but that they probably had to onboard in the last six months just to just to plan to meet that. Hopefully, people can keep their jobs. Yeah, and they're you know? they're they're making plans too, and they're also saying that 
uh, stores that sell out will receive an increase in volume and stuff and there's allocations now which is hilarious to think about an allocation being on a sub $20 product you know Um, you get that same day you get your pappy release (laughs) yeah they they come together you got your you got your 23 year old whiskey (laughs) and your box of $14 white cloth and Christmas Uh, they get boxed together oh man that's a gift that's the gift that keeps on giving right there Uh, so yeah so they're so there it is. I, I mean, you know, again, we'll we'll see what happens when it comes to next year. But um, you know, if things up being increased, it'll be really, really fun and uh, interesting to watch. So moving on. Now we are again, you guys, we're in the holidays. So being in the holidays, what that usually means for our industry is that awards come out. Woo! Yeah. So um, two of the big ones that we're going to talk about today are the uh, Whiskey Advocates Top 20 Whiskeys of the Year, and then Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible for 2020, which comes out every year. Um, so start off with Jim Murray stuff. Well, hang on. I'd like to touch on on the concept of, of uh, awards, first of all. Okay. I think that there are a bunch of them that just don't mean anything. Okay. That also being said, there are a bunch, you know... Uh, Whiskeys of the World, um, the uh, uh, SF Spirit Awards, Jim Murray, uh, Whiskey Advocate. I think these carry clout. I will add a footnote onto that and just say the only decision that matters is who's number one. Nobody pays attention to any of the others, which is a shame because uh, looking at this whiskey advocate list, there's a lot of good booze on this list. Yeah, and I, I like it. Yeah, um, but no one cares. You know, it's like looking at wine enthusiasts and and their and their marks. Nobody cares if you got 93 points or 94 points. They just want to know if you're you got wine of the year. Well, I think it depends. I mean, I've personally for the past you know two years, I've or past three years now, sold top 20 whiskeys. And the highest that I've sold, or at least for Whiskey Advocate, I think was number four or five. And uh, that definitely, we, have a really, we still have a hard time keeping that in stock. Are affordable and approachable and that you can actually can get, you know, every day. Now, well, whiskey, I know Whiskey Advocate that's that's one of the one of the criteria that they use for judging, which is important when we get into talking about which one is number one. Yeah. Right. And so that's it's it's one of the key criteria. I don't know how they quantify that exactly, but I I know that they make a big deal out of that being the case. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you know if you're putting something, let's say like a Yamazaki 18 at the number one spot, which no one's going to be able to get. No. Ever. So no. so that does factor in for the whiskey advocate. You know, it's a panel of other judges now. Part of the criticisms of things like these top top 20 lists and, and really just any award in general is that people are always going to accuse them of getting paid off and stuff like that. and be like, oh, so-and-so paid this money to get this spot. And on one hand, it... Uh, you know, there's certain people who put a lot of stock into these lists and other people who don't put... But, any- you know, the p- same people who are complaining about awards being bought and paid for are the same people who are the first to, like, write one-star Yelp reviews. So they don't really... That opinion doesn't really matter too much to me. If you, right, well, if you put any stock in Yelp, 
then your opinion doesn't mean anything to me. Well, and I think also if, you know, and I, and I, I do see it from other like industry professionals and I'm kind of like, okay, so basically what you've done now is if any of your products ever ends up on a list, I'm just going to assume that you paid for it. Correct. Because that's how you feel about things. Right. You know, so you're saying that everybody else is doing this except for you? Well, their assumption is that one of their products will never end up on a list. <laughs> right. Which their stuff obviously isn't very good. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's, I, I it's, a know. Fun, it's a fun list. It's a, it's a good list that I think they came up with this year. Um, there's a lot of diversity on it, which I think in the past it, it has certainly, to me, it's lacked. Um, but okay, I think... Explain I think, that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I think sometimes with a lot of these different competitions, you know, they can get really bourbon heavy and stuff like that. And you can just tell that, like, oh, this is a group of bourbon drinkers. Bourbon drinkers or you know? scotch drinkers. Yeah. And sure. so one way or the other. And I think, like, this list has a good collection of different things on there that kind of appeal to a lot of different palettes. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, if I look at the number one, I'm like, you know what? I really don't like that that type of, of, of whiskey. I'm going to go on to the number two, or maybe I'll look at number 15. Oh, I like that kind of stuff. I've always wanted to try it and do that. And that's what I like about these lists is that sometimes it'll take products that you weren't familiar with, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go check that out. Or maybe, like, you know, it's going to be that second pass when you're looking at a back bar and be like, oh, I think that was on that list. Let me try it again. On the flip side, I think it also sets up at times very, very unfair expectations to the point where they get put on such a pedestal that people are looking for this to be the best whiskey ever. And or the then, best beer ever. And then or... when it's not, it ends up being very, very disappointing for people. And then kind of like the backlash happens where it's just kind of like this stuff actually sucks and things like that. And like in the reality, it's like it doesn't suck. It's probably a really good whiskey. But you're looking at it through the lens of this was the whiskey of the year or this was this or this was that right. and I think it sucks and then also I'm just trying to be a contrarian as well because I want to have that standout opinion you know it's like huh. popular to shit on these types of things yeah so um, I you know yeah I, I mean we've, we've said this before on this podcast uh, but you know I I often tell people to be careful of those unicorn whiskeys because or beers or wine because you know what Still beer, still whiskey, yeah. still wine. It's yeah. going to taste like it. It's going yeah. to be well done, right? But it's still going to taste like it. So don't don't go wasting a thousand dollars on that secondary market. You know, most of this stuff doesn't actually cost that much anyway, right? Right. I mean, right. there are a handful that do, um, but you know, Patty Van Winkle, when it gets sold, does not cost a thousand dollars. So anybody who's paying fifteen hundred dollars for it, two thousand dollars for it, yeah. Either better really, really like it, you know, or they're a collector and they don't plan on ever drinking it and they plan on reselling it maybe when they die or something like that. Yeah, it's it's really kind of interesting to see how that all un, unravels for like different brands. So, for example, on 2018's list for Whiskey Advocate, Nika from the Barrel got the number one spot. Solid whiskey. Great you know? whiskey. Solid whiskey. I you know, I'm not clamoring for it, but I have no problem drinking it. The week before it came out, you were going to get it for retail right around 65 bucks. Okay. The week this list comes out, that thing immediately jumped to 120. I saw it for 150 in certain places, 180 other places, right? In the span of a week. And that's just what's going to happen because people are making that mad dash to go get it. Right. I was in a store just last week or two weeks ago, potentially. Saw it again. 
back down to 65. Yeah, I, I was charging uh, about 65 earlier this week for two bottles of Nicofood Barrel. Somebody came in, saw them, was like, dope, grab both of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, which is great. That's yeah. fine. It doesn't do me any good to leave it sitting there on my shelf. Right. Um, like that dark guy collecting dust. And, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's great whiskey. If you like it, drink it. Mm-hmm. Dope. Yeah. You know, so I'm happy to send it at home with you. Obviously, I'm not going to take a hit on it, but right, you know, that's not what I'm in the business for. But right, yeah, here to here to turn bottles and stuff. So, um, so that's just kind of like you know our gist and our feelings towards towards lists and stuff like that. But we should actually tell people what's on the list if By they haven't means. already. I mean, this okay, has been out so for a whiskey couple advocate weeks. number one, Drew. Please, you want me to do number one? I was going to do like a whole countdown. Oh. Not we should have talked about that beforehand. <laughs> We're so bad at this. <laughs> oh man! All right, start uh, with your countdown. So I, well, I just think that, like you know, number five. You know, why not? Let's build some anticipation. But it's going to be the Abalor Abunda uh, Alba Cast Strength Batch Number One. So that's your number five whiskey. Okay. What's really interesting this year is uh, it came out in two different strengths this year. Mm-hmm. So the one that won number five this year is one fourteen. They also came out with a one twenty three. Uh, which is really interesting. So I if like, you, I so like if you're gonna, I think they're. Both so if you're gonna find it. You right. got to find the right batch. Yeah. And that was something that happened with one of our whiskeys a couple of years ago as well. There was a there was a significant difference between batch two and batch three. Sure. And batch two, I think, was the one that got on the list. At number four, you have the Heaven Hill Seven Year Old Bottled and Bond. Uh, that is, um, I've had that one. So Very this, solid. This used to be the the six year green label that was only available in Kentucky up until I think this year, and so they released it finally as a seven year with a blue label nice. on it this year. I'm very excited to get it, uh, get my hands on it. I saw some this past weekend at a rare whiskey event, and it was definitely one that was very popular. Uh, your number three, Four Roses Small Batch Select. That's great. Yeah. I, I've been a huge fan of uh, Four Roses for a long time. And then at number two, your Dewar's 21-year-old Double Double. Awesome. Yeah, so that one. Um, Dewar's on the Rocks, the uh, white label, is my uh, one of my dive bar drinks. <laughs> it uh, is. Yeah, it's available. I, I love it. It's great. Um, also, two of my sexy bottles in my collection are Dewar's White Label 1938 in my No Touchy Pile. Ooh, that is nice. Yeah. You should definitely touch those. And then your number one whiskey, which, insert drum roll sound effect here. It's probably going to sound horrible. Is the George Dickel 13 year old bottled in bond. Distilled in the fall of 2005. And I can hear Whiskey Alphas already in the back going, What the hell, George Dickel? I hear booze and the hisses. So many hisses. So, to summarize, you have a single malt, three bourbons, two of them bottled in bonds, and then one blended whiskey in your top top five. So, again, kind of showing some diversity there. There's a couple other single malts on the list. Some Irish here, some Japanese whiskey as well a nice ride uh, round out the list uh at number 20 the adnoms rye malt i've heard very good things about that um one of the game of thrones bottles made it on the talisker i love Tal- that that was uh, i was just talking to a buddy of mine today specifically and i think we both agreed that that was our favorite as well talisker is a very very solid producer if you can get your hands on some talisker 
do it. That line in general had, to me, a lot more misses than hits, but the Talisker was obviously very, very drinkable. One day we'll we'll come back with our own list of Drew's top favorite Game of Thrones-inspired whiskeys. <laughs> Most definitely. And then uh, this, the shameless plug, the number 19, the Matsui peated expression is one that... One that I sell, so uh, it's just delicious. Make sure and go out there. I was really happy to see that because that's actually my favorite one out of the three that they released. So they did they did that one. They did a Sakura cast. And they did a Mizunara, and they all have like their different um, you know credentials and people you know kind of loving different things about them. But I always liked the peated, and I always felt like the peated was like left out of the conversation. And so to have a nice uh, well, a peated Japanese whiskey is interesting. Yeah, I mean that's just that's something that's a little bit unique, a little bit different. So it's, it's very it's counterintuitive fun. to what people are can, like used to when you're talking about Japanese whiskey. Yeah, if you're if you're aware and you're um, tuned into Japanese whiskey, yeah, it's it's unique. So. Okay, so now with that, now the the whiskey advocate definitely definitely controversial, but not nearly as controversial as this next list, which is the Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible. Um, so Jim Murray is a whiskey writer, whiskey advocate, not the magazine, but just himself. And he essentially reviews thousands of whiskeys a year and then comes out with different uh, lists, awards, um, and just is very controversial. And the reason yeah, being is... I think he takes pride in being just a little controversial. I think he does too. I mean, and honestly, it's someone I aspire to be. Like, he makes a lot of people mad with, like, just of his opinion. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I need to get on that guy's level. Yeah, you're so, almost there. I'm working on it. So, yeah, I mean, he awards things like best European single malt, you know, best small craft distillery. Like, he's got this, you know, very, very in-depth list that he has, you know, cultivated over the years. And um, this year's winning overall best whiskey of uh the whiskey bible was the 1792 foolproof um the number two was the uh weller 2018 release 125 proof and then the thomas handy sazerac was the number three and then um it is just you know so a lot of people kind of coming back and in being like look at this bourbon focus how can you not have any representation of single malts up in that list? If you do get into some of his other awards, which we have listed here, um, the Scotch Whiskey of the Year was the Glen Grant 18 Rare Edition. Um, you also had uh, Scotch Blend was the Ballotin 17. Let's see, 10 Years and Under, another Glen Grant win. Um, actually, a lot of Glen Grant uh, awards given by him this year. Uh, blended Scotch, like I said, the best 5 to 12 was Johnny Walker, 12-year, Black Interesting. Label. Yeah. Uh, Irish whiskey, Red Breast, age, uh, the Red Breast 12 cast strength, which we both agree Red Breast is awesome. Yeah, I, I find stuff like that a little bit really interesting because these are, you know, these are whiskeys that are consistent year to year to year. So the fact that you're coming back and choosing those as the whiskey of the year. Yeah. I well, is in know. speaking of that, his Canadian whiskey of the year is actually the Crown Royal Northern Harvest Rye, and that has been his Canadian whiskey of the year multiple years in a row now. Have you tasted this? Yes. I I haven't. No. I 
so at the time when this was announced initial or is the first time it won it i was still working for diageo and and it's a good right i always explained it as kind of like a gateway rye it was like a rye with train wheels you know canadian whiskeys similar to japanese the fact that they try to be easy to drink well they also they, they have very few rules the Canadian whiskeys. I know that they're they're attempting in, in a few last few years to to change that. Yeah, earn a little bit more provenance with with what Canadian whiskey is and what producers want to be recognized as. Right. My favorite thing about Canadian whiskey rules is that they're self regulated. Right. Which might be the most Canadian thing in the entire world. <laughs> like yeah, we got to tell on ourselves, which is just not going to happen. Um, other highlights here: you have the Japanese whiskey of the year was the Nika. Takasuru Pure Malt. In this situation, Pure Malt can imply that it was actually sourced from a different place. Mika does own some pretty prominent Scotch distilleries, such as Ben Nevis. So it could very well be that the best Japanese whiskey of the year is, in fact, a Scotch. Well, Um, my understanding is that it still has to be brought back to Japan and still has to be aged there. Well, it's, it's actually brought to proof and bottled. Right, okay, sorry. It has to be so, brought back and bottled there. Yeah, so I mean, and, and I sell a lot of pure malt, so that's why I'm, I'm aware of the sure. situation. And I do think that a lot of pure malts are great. I just mm-hmm. think it's funny. You know, it's like, oh, right, there you got that. Um, speaking of the Matsui again, there's the Mizunara cast as the single malt of the year. And then then he also does uh, European whiskeys, uh, world whiskeys. And, and this is actually probably a better example of what I was referring to earlier with the top 20 list where it's like you get to see a lot of stuff on here that like I've never heard of before. And now I really want to try. Yeah, I'm very, so, I, I, I in the last couple of years have become very interested in, uh, in whiskeys from, we'll say, slightly more obscure locations you know yeah. i'm very fascinated with um the whiskey movement in nordic countries yeah um is finding some out of south africa i even like france i'm really interested in, in drinking some that i there's some amazing ones yeah yeah so like on the on here you know your your european you know whiskey ones uh the whiskey number nine bog single malt from denmark then you had a pandaren single cask from wales which we're, we're very familiar with that one um, the Asian whiskey of the year was the Nanto Distillery Omar Bourbon Cask. And that's from Taiwan, and then the Southern Hemisphere whiskey of the year, which again, if anything, Jim's thorough. <laughs> Bakery Hill peated malt cast strength from Australia, and I know we've talked about Australia before. Right, so much rad stuff coming out of there, which um, we get almost none of. Almost none of, yeah. yeah. I, the, I, unfortunately, that is. That is very true, but I, I, that's where I, you know, I look at things like this and, um, you know, where I might agree that the best whiskey in the world is a $30 foolproof from, you know, 1792. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Like, good for them. They're going to sell a lot of bottles now. Right. They had a rough year, so yeah. good for them. Yeah. You know, let's, let's go find some of these weird ones, these obscure ones and, and stuff like that, because the, the whiskey world is expanding so significantly it's a really fun time to be in it because you can try so many different things well, it's, and not you don't just, have... it's not just whiskeys the spirit the craft spirit movement across the globe is just booming. right right so finding things that you might not have had ever before in your life right has never been easier yeah and it's really exciting because it's the the 
the spirit market isn't just owned by Diageo and Pernod Ricard. Right. Not to say that there's anything wrong with them, but we need more diversity. We need greater expressions from different cultures in different places and not to have it controlled by, you know, five companies that just want to push their boost. Right. Well, and I think the exposure is, is really helping me. You know, one thing that I've been doing over the past week and a half has been sending you all the pictures of the wine that I bought from you. Right. That is from a small importer who, um, you know, is doing it as a second job, which is amazing. Like, and now I'm trying all these different French wines that I haven't been exposed to in any other place. Yeah, my favorite uh, response that you sent me this week was when I told you to decant a wine. And you yeah. said, I'm decanting it in my belly. They <laughs> did say that. Way to, way to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really, really nice. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, again, Jim is, is somebody who gets a lot of flack for these lists. And, oh, he gets paid to do this. He gets paid to do that. You know what? Whatever. If that's the case, that's the case. If not, like, just here's a really dope list of whiskeys you probably haven't had before. See if you can find yeah. out. Go out and find them. And to you know? circle back to to our initial statement, which is at least my argument that number one is the only one people pay attention to. Yeah. I think you and I also like seeing these because, again, just like you said, reading farther down the list is a lot more fun and interesting because you get to yeah. s- you get to see things that are super interesting that you might have never had that then piques your interest. I mean, we're jaded. We drink a lot. Right. We get sent a lot. We get given a lot just by friends who happen to come to town, people who are willing to buy us drinks. Right. We run with a lively crew. <laughs> we do. But finding something for us that we've never seen is super interesting. Yeah. Because this is what we do. I imagine it could be even more interesting for people who don't do this, who only, you know, drink once a week, who, you know, have a small home bar of maybe five bottles, you know, but they've been consuming Crown Royal or Jim Beam their entire life, you know, and and that's fine. Like, that's great. But this could be even more interesting for you because the next time you go out to a bar and you're like, holy shit, I see that bottle that made it into the top 20, top 50 it piqued my interest when I saw it before. Let's give that a try. Yeah, and I think from a from a bartender's perspective, or you know anybody else in this in this business, like when you go down this list and you find those things that don't have the allocations on them that you can get, like white claw, like a white claw, um, you can then take that experience to the next level for the person. Right? Is that they can come in and be like, hey, you know, do you have you know the number one whiskey from from Whiskey Avenue? Like, you know what, I don't have that. But I have number 12 through 17. Right. And number 14 was my favorite. Having that knowledge, you can't, you know, maybe you can't give them exactly what they want, but you can give them something that is really cool and you just created this new experience for them, you know, or you know, if you do have access to some of these European bottles, it's like, oh, I have this, this was named the best single malt in Europe or like over here, over there, yeah. whatever the case may be. Like something that still has like clout to someone who doesn't, you know, just kind of like, oh, well, if someone said it's the best in this whole area, like. Maybe it's worth trying as long as it's within a price point that I can yeah, afford. Yeah, I'd really like to see people start trying other whiskeys other than, you know, I mean, scotches, ryes, bourbons. But, you know, again, that's totally based on my own well, proclivity think- of liking to see other stuff. I just like seeing underrepresented uh, areas gain their own clout. You remember when when uh, Taiwan won, you know, they won Whiskey of the World, what, five years ago, six years ago? Oh, God, was it even longer than that? 
with the Cavalon? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it turned it turned the whiskey world on its head. Yeah. Yeah. And that some, was that was only things, seven years ago. Six right. years. I, God, I don't even remember when it was. Yeah, and that's you know, and it's it is cool to see that stuff. I mean, we have a we have a whiskey that's going to hit our warehouse in January. That's from Tel Aviv. Oh, I mean, so cool! It's like what you know, and uh, it's it's exciting to be a part of that. I think you can really create these really cool experiences for people that yeah, maybe they come in for their standard bourbons and stuff like that. But I think consumers are getting so much more savvy to this types of stuff that. You know, you it's it's harder to fake it with a lot of them, you know, because people do take a lot of pride in this knowledge and stuff. And now there's just so much more opportunities. I mean, here in Sacramento alone, we have multiple whiskey groups. There are multiple whiskey dinners. There was a huge whiskey event, you know, the Whiskey yeah. 101. I mean, it's like there is all this interest in it. And people are going out there and they're building these collections and they're reading these whiskey advocates. They're reading these blogs. They're on these Facebook pages. Like the opportunity similar to some of the stuff that we've talked before where it's like now is the time to try new stuff yeah well it's, it's so it, much cool it's, it's so, so much more accessible yeah so approachable i mean the cost for a lot of it really isn't terrible right you know right unless you hit number one right and then right. you're just not going to get it um but you know anything outside of that they're totally totally approachable yeah um I, I often find it really funny that uh, you know bartenders have this air of superiority, but nowadays the consumer just knows so much more yeah. than I'd say ninety percent of of the profession that's out there. Right. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of information. I mean, and again, it's not something you can be. Not everybody can be completely focused on one thing. And right. sometimes with enthusiasts, you know, they're they're really dialed in on like one type of expression and if you're on our side it's like you know of course you want to have that but i we also have to have a lot of knowledge about agave a lot of knowledge about rum a lot of knowledge about sin. so it can stretch you a little bit thin but i do think looking at these lists and then you know if you get your hands on it, i mean there's all kinds of programming that you can design around having this stuff in your right. bar you know break even bottles um, you know, top twenty. You yeah, know, you and I are fan, fans of the break even bottle. We don't we don't see it uh, a lot, uh, especially around here. Um, but you know, Bobby Huell being being at least the first time I saw it down in Houston. Yeah. Um, you know, finding dope bottles just to educate people about, and right. you know, charging literally cost on that bottle. Well, and that's and cool. so so for our listeners, basically what the break even bottle concept is. You know, I'm going to have this, let's say, expensive bottle, you know, an old expression. Maybe maybe it costs $300, right? Well, that is probably going to be a pretty expensive shot for a lot of people. Pretty expensive pour. Yeah, okay? especially especially if you're if you're charging the 18% cost of goods on that. Right. So, yeah. so it makes it pretty unapproachable as those things sit. So the concept of the break-even bottle is that you take your cost for it. You divide it by how many pours you have of that bottle, you know, in there, and then that's what you charge. Right. And so basically what you're doing is you're you're getting people in the door to try something that they typically would never get to try. And I've seen this executed very poorly by the wrong people, and it drives me nuts because it's such a cool concept. In what way was it executed poorly? It was targeted at the wrong people. It was targeted at industry. Oh, I see. And not the consumer yeah. who, who the is point, actively the, looking. The point of doing this is to bring consumers in because right. consumers are looking for this type of stuff. And the reality is is that 
someone comes in and they get a screaming deal on you know this big old age statement or a top 20 whiskey whatever the case may be they get a screaming deal on that they're going to sit at your bar and they're going to spend more money right because they just got this great deal so as far as they're concerned they're like hey i'm playing with house money right now sure i'm ahead yeah so i'm going to start with this but then hopefully build from there you know, and you don't, you know, you're not doing it every single week. Like you do it once a month, or or whatever the case may be, and you pick something that is truly unique. And when you do that, you can really create something fun and interesting to people. And you're also, you know, you're going to draw new people to your bar as well, which is what we're, you know, we're all trying to do because that's going to that's going to make you more money. So right. So I really hope to see um, somebody in our area like really pull that off because I do think it's a super fun concept. And it's something that really can generate a lot of business for you. Um, but, you know, it's got to be targeted at the right people and you got to pick the right bottles. Sure. You know, picking something that is readily available and it's like a $100 bottle is probably not going to do it. You know? So, um, well, bud, I think that kind of wraps up our holiday special. Yeah. Is that? Was, I hear jingle bells off in the background. Yeah, we have, uh, I have traffic to go fight. I got in-laws to hang out with. I've got a Hennessy dinner I've got to go to. So with all that said, hey man, the Good Bottle Podcast was recorded at the Good Bottle Shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Jason. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Good Bottle Podcast. Thank you.